So thank you very much uh, for having come. Uh, today I uh, present you some work uh, that is uh, largely the result of uh, Thomas Garcia's uh, PhD. Here is uh, his picture and his, uh, especially the second part uh, is in collaboration with uh, Leonardo Gregory Brunet uh, in uh, Brazil. Uh, so I'll uh, just uh, start uh, by telling you what's um, our assumptions or uh, our definition of uh, sociality, uh, talking a bit about uh, how sociality has been, is usually tackled uh, in the context of uh, game theory uh, as uh, the evolution of uh, cooperation. And then I uh, will talk about uh, <coughs> how could uh, groups uh, emerge uh, evolutionarily from uh, entities uh, that are not initially inside groups uh, and uh, uh, I will, uh, this is just some general formulation and then I'll uh, decline it in a specific case uh, where we have a very simple uh, model of group formation that allows us uh, uh, basically to do, to obtain some analytical results about this. And then I'll move to something that is a bit more realistic, uh, that is uh, group formation in space, uh, uh, where I have a model of uh, self-propelled particles uh, that probably would fit more in the next year's uh, program here at KITP than in uh, this year's one. And then I go back uh, on uh, sociality and uh, how this uh, could be relevant or not uh, to the evolution of uh, multicellularity. So as we have already seen several times in the past days, there are different entities that regroup microbes that are usually referred to as microbial societies. So then, well, we can go back about the fact that these are really or not cooperative aggregates but let's say if for biofilms uh, this is more questionable, then there are some other systems uh, where uh, really one uh, has the idea that this uh, multicellular aggregates, uh, this is uh, yeast flux, uh, have some kind of uh, really collective function uh, in terms of defense from stress uh, or uh, resistance in general. Up to the point uh, of uh, this uh, so-called uh, paradigmatic social microbes uh, where one really has uh, that the group of cells undergoes uh, differentiation and uh, developmental program. So what I will mean here by sociality is the combination of the fact of being in a group and uh, do something that uh, uh, increases the fitness of the whole group. So I, I will put myself in a framework of a, a common good or a public good. So this is uh, different, and I will discuss this uh, towards the end, from assuming that uh, there is uh, an individuality at the collective level. So collectives for me are just ensembles of um, particles or units that have some property that has an effect at the collective level. But these collectives, uh, for instance, uh, do not reproduce, uh, they, they don't have a life on their own. 
So, and the point of view will be the usual one from game theory. Basically, we have uh, these uh, entities uh, that uh, reproduce clonally, that have uh, minimal cognition, uh, and uh, uh, that thus undergo Darwinian uh, evolution. Uh, so, of course, uh, one could use this uh, in a more general uh, for, for several organisms and the microbes are those that are uh, probably closer to this kind of assumptions uh, of, of game theory. And the question I'll ask is uh, how can groups uh, evolve from things uh, that are uh, uh, originally alone and uh, uh, what is the role of group formation and on the mechanism of group formation on the eventual evolution or not of sociality and of in the increase, uh, evolutionary increase of group size. Yes? What do you mean by minimal cognition? Uh, just that I, I don't suppose they sort of know what the others are doing. So I, I don't want to require that uh, one entity has some conditional strategy that depends on uh, uh, what the other... They have some interaction between them. They have interaction. I, I'll, uh, Look at this. Yeah, yes, it's, uh, I'll, I'll go back to this, actually. They, they interact, uh, but uh, my idea is that basically they have some physical property, and this physical property uh, rules uh, this interaction. So they don't need to know uh, or to signal with each other what they are doing, basically. So is it the same as saying there's not a significant memory of, of a past encounter that they, they forget very, very fast? Yes, for instance, or there's no signaling really explicitly evolved to be a signal. So basically one can look at the, uh, if this uh, uh, participation to the public good is costly to the individual, then uh, one can put himself uh, in the classical framework of the evolution of uh, uh, altruism or uh, cooperation uh, and then uh, of course uh, the, the classical problem is the tragedy of the commons uh, that is uh, if you have uh, uh, some units uh, that uh, decide not to invest in the public good but still are part of the groups uh, and then reap the benefits of being in the group uh, these cheaters uh, should have a higher fitness uh, than uh, those that uh, pay the cost and therefore uh, the situation in which uh, uh, groups are formed uh, by cooperative individuals uh, should be evolutionarily unstable. So basically I'll uh, use uh, uh, when individuals, once individuals are inside a group, uh, I will consider that they play a public good game that is uh, basically modeled, uh, well it can be modeled in many different ways, I'll take uh, really the, the simplest case. I will have uh, like uh, two strategies. Uh, I won't call them cooperators and cheaters later on, uh, but uh, let's say the important thing is that there is one strategy that pays a cost uh, to contribute to the public good, uh, whereas there is another strategy that does not pay this cost. And then <coughs> one important thing is that uh, I will consider that basically the benefit uh, uh, given uh, by the presence uh, of uh, these uh, contributors uh, is uh, uh, dependent on the ratio between, uh, 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 sorry, on the proportion of uh, cooperators in the group. 
so there will be no uh, bias towards any specific group size. So here I don't uh, make any assumption about the fact that larger groups should be favored just by their size. Uh, what is important uh, is the proportion uh, between uh, cooperators and, uh, and cheaters. <coughs> and, and then, basically, the benefits are divided equally among all group members, uh, irrespective of what is their contribution. And then the tragedy of the common uh, just follows from this. Just uh, in, in equations, uh, uh, there will be in a group of size n, uh, B will be the contribution uh, uh, to the public good uh, and C will be the cost of such a contribution. So basically the, the payoff uh, of this game that uh, will be considered as uh, the fitness of uh, one individual inside the group will be different for cooperators and uh, cheaters or defectors. So uh, it will be basically the same benefit for the two and uh, uh, more than this, uh, cooperators uh, will have uh, the cost. And uh, what is interesting is that you can rewrite this uh, in a component uh, that is uh, due to self. So this is uh, really the direct effect of my contribution on my fitness. And uh, another part uh, that is due to the others. So uh, how many um, other cooperators uh, you have around you. And, uh, and that's it. So there are uh, many explanations uh, for um, that explain uh, how, after all, there are many situations in which uh, cooperation can evolve in spite of the tragedy of the commons. <coughs> Actually, the mechanisms uh, that have been pointed out are pretty diverse. Uh, then people uh, sort of uh, classify them into some broad classes. For instance, one can classify it in terms of indirect and direct fitness increase. But what I prefer and what I will adopt from now on is to think about it in terms of the interaction environment of a single individual. So, <coughs> excuse me. So, for every individual, one can obtain uh, the payoff for the fitness uh, as a function of the expected number of uh, cooperators uh, or uh, of uh, defectors that uh, he will find. Uh, actually, this is a C uh, in uh, in his neighborhood uh, with uh, with whom uh, it will uh, interact. So when you say neighborhood now, space. <coughs> space coming in. Uh, no, space will come later on. Let's say you you enter a group. So your neighborhood is just a group. So uh, how many cooperators uh, you expect uh, to find uh, in a group uh, of uh, size n in, in this framework? Uh, might apply to a well-mixed. Uh, yes, well, it, it depends on the process of group formation, actually, because uh, the group formation process uh, might be specialized, or it might be, I mean, it depends on how you form groups, basically. How you form groups will tell you what is uh, your expectation for uh, the number of cooperators uh, you will meet. So all groups I'm familiar with form in space, and so there's an edge and a center. So is there a differentiation here? Uh, no, no, so far, uh, no. Uh, let's consider a well-mixed case. So basically, most of, of this uh, theoretical framework has dealt with groups of size n that was held fixed. 
as if uh, basically groups uh, or existed already before they had uh, a function, uh, let's say some collective function and so on. So what we, what we did and a few other peoples have done in recent years is to consider a setting where this n can be less vary. So you have a population and you can have groups of different size and of different composition. And then of course depending on the hypothesis you make on how this vary, you would have different outcomes. And this basically responds to the fact that in general, uh, in natural populations, you have uh, some distributions of group size, uh, so groups are not all the same. Uh, this is uh, for, for fish schools uh, and uh, for microbes. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find uh, any data, but let's say that when people talk to experimentalists, uh, they tell you, yes, well, we, you will have a typical group size, uh, for instance, in. Uh, Dictyostelium aggregation uh, under uh, given environmental conditions. Uh. The left hand one is with a single species. Yes, uh, the, uh, yes. The, also, this one, <coughs> in principle. Uh, let's say you, you have uh, these uh, cells and uh, they, they interact somehow and they form groups. And okay, the left one is actual data. This is actual data, yes. Uh, this is uh, on uh, fish schools. Oh. All fish, fish schools with the same species. Yes. I think so, actually. I think so, yes. Must be one, one species. So basically, there are a few works in which people have started looking at what happens if you relax this hypothesis of having groups of all the same size. And actually, in this paper, what, what uh, Jorge has done is that uh, he uh, just imposed a distribution of group size, uh, which was a health fix uh, for, uh, for the game, and then he showed that actually you get something different. Uh, it's uh, understandable. I mean, uh, you, you make a st your statistics over a certain distribution, and this affects basically your average uh, payoff uh, in the population. And then uh, there are uh, a few other cases in which uh, the group size uh, changes uh, in time due to some dynamics. So in this case you have a forcing, uh, you impose a bottleneck on your population and basically this uh, forces uh, your population size uh, to go to very small populations uh, periodically. And uh, something similar happens uh, or can happen if you have uh, either uh, demographic or evolutionary dynamics uh, that brings uh, the system back to small group sizes. And actually it is well known that when groups are small then uh, cooperation is favored. So it is much less a problem in small groups than it is in big groups. And this is simply because uh, as uh, uh, so the effect of uh, the choice of one single individual is weighs much more in a small group than it does in a big group. Then there are a few other, a few other works in which people have let co-evolve group size and cooperation. So here individuals had two strategies, one that referred to their grouping capacity and the other one that referred to their cooperation or not. Okay, uh, well, uh, if you want, we can discuss about this later. They have a few assumptions uh, that I think are uh, pretty uh, hard uh, to, well, to, to deal with uh, when you want to interpret the, the results. But basically what they find is that uh, they, they have the evolution actually of uh, sizable groups. Uh, 
and uh, they have like an optimal group size uh, but then if you look at the inclusive fitness uh, they, they choose in this series uh, there is a series of paper from Leticia Viles uh, basically you have no cost uh, in uh, forming groups uh, and uh, you have an inclusive fitness that has a maximal uh, value for intermediate sizes so it's not so surprising that you end up having some sort of uh, optimal group size and here what they have is that uh, individuals can choose uh, the size of the group they belong to which is uh, for microbes I think uh, a bit a stronger uh, assumption so uh, the, the kind of model we have studied uh, it uh, resembles very much uh, the model that uh, Erwin uh, has uh, developed uh, basically we consider a, a life cycle that resembles a bit that of uh, social microbes so you start from a population that is characterized by the frequency of uh, these uh, two strategies uh, that I will call uh, social and asocial. I'll uh, then define them uh, more precisely later. So you have uh, this uh, blue and red dots. Then you have some process of group formation that uh, partitions uh, this population into groups of different size and of different composition and actually what will characterize this process of group formation is the distribution of group sizes that uh, a social or an asocial individual is expected to meet and then one can make some hypothesis about uh, these uh, distributions once the groups are formed you just play a social game inside each one of the group and what we will play is the linear public good game that is, uh, every individual inside one group uh, have, will have the same fitness uh, and this fitness will be used to update uh, the frequencies uh, of, uh, in the population uh, at the following generation. So basically you, you let individuals reproduce according to their fitness uh, and then uh, you reshuffle the whole thing. So basically these groups uh, just uh, last one generation. Yes? Regardless of the group size, the interest rate, the K that you had in the beginning is the same. So the public goods is distributed in exactly the same manner, independent of how many people are in the Yes, it's, it's exactly the same in every group. Just, I mean, uh, what, what changes uh, from group to group is uh, the, the proportion, uh, the fraction of uh, socials. So not, not in every group of the same size you will find the same fraction of socials. So you will have some distribution. I get to that. Yeah. Yes. Is there any difference in um, in the cost, say, of producing groups of different no. sizes? No. No. So basically, as long as you are social, you pay a cost. And, and the distribution of, of group sizes in this model is Poisson, or what? I I'll, uh, I uh, I get to there. So. Irwin's work though was was it Poisson? Okay. Yeah. No. In uh, in this one, it, it doesn't need to be. So let's, let's keep it general by now. So basically the important thing is that if you are social, you pay a cost. And this also if you find yourself alone. For instance, imagine you produce a glue and this is a cost you pay in any case, even if you don't end up in a group. And then the second important assumption is that basically you have two things that go together. Basically, if you are social, you have at the same time an increased propensity to form groups. 
So basically your distribution uh, of uh, expected group size uh, will be different uh, than the one for social individuals and uh, with a larger average. And then uh, you you participate to the public good uh, and uh, our uh, way of thinking to it is that uh, if I, I am sticky for instance uh, at the same time uh, I tend to be more often in groups uh, and I increase the coherence of a group so if uh, there is any fitness associated to the fact that uh, groups uh, maintain their uh, coherence or their being as groups uh, then this uh, uh, should, uh, so the fitness should increase uh, with this uh, capacity of staying together. So for instance, uh, well, there are examples uh, in which um, actually so-called uh, cheater variants of uh, social microbes uh, are associated uh, to some uh, reduced uh, stickiness uh, or um, so, for instance, a mix of bacteria. So basically, uh, this is a very strong hypothesis, but it just means that you have one single trait, and since you, are, you have blown up the, the life cycle, this single trait affects you, uh, affects two places in the life cycle, both the, the aggregation phase and the, the phase, the function, let's say the collective function of the groups. So and then what, what we want to do is uh, that uh, on the basis uh, of uh, these assumptions uh, we make some uh, averages uh, over the population in order to compute the payoff difference or the fitness difference uh, of uh, the two strategies, so social and the social. So you can call it like the Simpsons paradox, uh, basically you make an average over the population and sometimes you get something that is different from the tragedy of the commons. And then uh, the evolutionary dynamics uh, will be simply ruled uh, by the replicator equation uh, that's very classical in game theory. And uh, what happens uh, usually uh, if you don't have uh, this, um, well, some process of assortment, uh, uh, you will have uh, that uh, the replicator equation predicts uh, that uh, you only have uh, one fixed point uh, that is uh, just uh, full associality or uh, full cheating in the population and uh, this is uh, where uh, the, the direction of uh, movement of uh, the evolutionary dynamics uh, so this is the initial frequency of, uh, of uh, socials in, uh, in your population uh, and uh, usually you would just uh, go to that uh, equilibrium but uh, what we will see is that uh, in, uh, with this uh, uh, by expliciting uh, the process of group formation, one can get uh, this kind of situation where you have an interior uh, uh, unstable fixed point and then you will have uh, two competing equilibria, uh, one of which is uh, full asociality and the other one is uh, full sociality. So basically, going back to the formulas uh, I already presented you, you can derive uh, in, in general uh, this uh, payoff uh, difference between socials and asocials uh, by taking into account uh, what is uh, the expected number of socials uh, then the social or an asocial uh, is, is going to meet in the population the only thing is that uh, with respect to the previous equations in this case uh, you will have a dependence on the group size uh, so the group size will not just be one and then if you average over the whole population, 
you end up with a contribution that is uh, due to self and uh, this is something where uh, basically the benefit scales as 1 over n uh, when groups are larger this uh, will be just uh, negligible but then what is interesting is that you have a second term that actually combines uh, two factors uh, the first one is the expected number of socials uh, that you expect to find in a group of a given size uh, that basically tells you what is your uh, local interaction environment uh, at, uh, uh, for, uh, for a group of a given size and it measures within group assortment so this could be affected for instance if uh, uh, units are able to recognize each other so they decide to stay only in groups uh, where socials are and then uh, this is known, I mean, it's, uh, it's a very easy way to get sociality, some Greenbeard mechanism, uh, you, you all interact with the good ones and then uh, uh, the rest uh, is, uh, is Darwinian evolution. But what is interesting is that even though, uh, even in situations where these two are equal, so you can have a Poissonian distribution of uh, the two different strategies in groups of a given size, you still have uh, um, terms that depend on the expected uh, distribution of group size and this can compensate basically the effect of within group assortment you might have in principle negative within group assortment and compensate it with some difference in group size distribution I'm not sure how you got this equation because there is <coughs> the average uh, group size and the expected number of so it looks like you have made some, you get the correlations between group sizes and the expected number of strains in different groups. Actually, we, we don't have, uh, do we have correlation? I mean, th this is just the average of this, using the, the distributions. Basically, you average uh, these quantities uh, over the distributions uh, of group size. Looks like you have an n dependence. You're averaging like over n. Yes. So you have an es of n in the numerator of the second term on the top equation, and then you have one over n. And it looks like you've just uh, replaced both of those by their average. And mm. that neglects correlation. No, 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 no. No, because I mean this one comes from this one. So this is just for uh, your uh, contribution as uh, your individual contribution. And then the, this gives you this one. So you are uh, uh, taking basically the, the average of the distribution of group sizes uh, seen by socials. You multiply by ds. This one. So you sum over over the, the size, the group size, okay. and then you do the same. I mean, for these two. Actually, this will be multiplied by the S, and this one will be multiplied by the A, and this gives you this other term. So this is exact, if I know these functions, DS? Yes, exact. Yes, you, you, you need to know the function. So, so far I haven't uh, explicited the functions, and actually the function depends on, depends on the group formation process. Uh, I mean, then I, I go to, to a case in which I can write down the functions, uh, so uh, then uh, it's, uh, uh, excuse me. Sorry, just so yes. This holds also for finite population, but if you want to plug this in, uh, the replicator equation, 
the assumption is that the population is infinite. For sure, with small populations, uh, I, I think uh, I show you some simulations uh, for small population sizes. And then the structure somehow will come in your D's and, uh, and E's, right? Yes, exactly. So, so yes. So you, you choose the groups randomly, so they are initial size, and then the dynamics is deterministic or. Yes. Yes, uh, then the dynamics is deterministic. Well, the groups are not randomly assorted. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, show you an example so that, that's, uh, that is more clear. So th this is a very simple, very simplistic model of uh, group formation. Uh, so basically, you have an infinite population. You take out uh, T, a group, let's say, uh, a set of T individuals. Uh, and these T individuals are those that can form a group. And how do they do this? You choose randomly one of those individuals, you call it the recruiter, which can be social or asocial, and then each one of the others has just one chance to interact with this one, and during this interaction it has some probability to stick to it. If it sticks, it will be part of the group. If it does not stick, it will just remain outside. So then, uh, by choosing, so these are the probabilities of sticking of uh, the two, so a social with a social, a social with a, an asocial, and so on. So if you choose uh, the, the probability in a geometric relationship, uh, then you don't have a priori assortment. So you don't expect that, on average, if one individual is found in a group, uh, will interact more with uh, socials if it is social. So basically, there won't be within group assortment. Inside the groups, the different types are distributed in a binomial way. <coughs> Excuse me? So there is only one recruiter for every set of T individuals. Yes, well, in the population there is an infinite number of recruiters. I mean, T sets the maximal group size that uh, can be attained by this process of group formation. So T changes as a part of, as a result of this algorithm? It goes, no. goes to T plus uh, one? No, 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 no. T remains fixed. It's a fixed T? Yes, it's a parameter of... Uh, well, the only thing that changes here, that will change, is the the frequency of socials and asocials in the population. All the other parameters will remain the same, so the benefit, uh, the cost, uh, and, uh, and these uh, probabilities of interaction, of, uh, of sticking together. Sampling error, for example. You could imagine a model where T fluctuates just because yes, no. real dilution no, yes. surely happens, right? No, yeah. but, but there is still some sampling error because kind of the word randomly means that the, the number of socials and asocials is random in mm. this T, right? So yes. there is Yes, but then you have an infinite population, an infinite number of sets. Right, but the fluctuation will depend on t. If t is, is huge, then the fluctuation of the numbers will be relatively small. If t is small, then it will different groups will be. It will be a stochastic term in your replicator equation in general. Do finite population? Maybe it's important, maybe it's not. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, we, we didn't uh, add a stochastic term. We did some simulations with finite populations, and uh, I'll, I'll show you later. Well, but then I don't understand what does the word randomly mean. If, if you don't add a stochastic term in, in simulation, how is this ran, ran, random choice is implemented in simulation? So you have a large population and uh, you take uh, out randomly t individuals. I mean, in principle, if the population is infinite, uh, then you will have uh, basically any possible uh, uh, composition of your uh, groups of size t. If the population is finite, uh, you will have some, yes, some fluctuations. Uh. Isn't there also a fact, no matter how big the population is, that if a cheater mutant comes in, comes in as one individual. So there's always small numbers involved. Yes, I, I'll go back to, to this. I mean, uh, eventually, what you find is always a, that there is a threshold for the invasion of sociality. So it's not enough one single individual to flip the, basically to let you go from a situation where you have a zero sociality to a situation of uh, sociality 100%. But then uh, one, can, one can look at how this threshold depends on the parameters. So uh, uh, that's it basically. So this is uh, the, the, the fitness uh, as a function of uh, the frequency of socials in the population. Uh, basically, this corresponds to, to the figure I showed you before. So basically, the crossing is the unstable fixed point, and uh, actually, the larger is uh, the basin of attraction of, uh, of this uh, equilibrium, the more likely it is uh, that you will uh, develop, uh, develop sociality. Of course, uh, you, you will have some uh, dependence of this threshold that is uh, sort of uh, intuitive, like if you increase the benefit, uh, then it will be easier to go over threshold. Actually, the way you go over threshold might just be that uh, uh, some relatedness uh, at, uh, between, uh, uh, between the different cells, uh, I mean, some shared, uh, the fact that at the beginning you don't have one single social, but you, you have a bump of socials. Then if you, if you put the stochastic terms, it's much easier to get this, uh, to, to get over threshold. Actually, what is, uh, <coughs> what is interesting is that even if you let t go into infinity, that is, uh, you, you don't put any limit about the, uh, the larger size of the groups you can get in the population, still this threshold remains finite. So you don't have uh, like a bias towards small group sizes uh, that you get in, in many models. The, the fact that you, no, uh, I think uh, is, I mean, the, the fact that you, you, that this one does not diverge with T, I, I don't know why should it be determined by the fact that it's deterministic. I mean, of course, this is a deterministic picture. If you add uh, some stochastic terms, uh, you will jump on one side or the other, and then, uh, I mean, you will have certain probabilities of fix this one or fix this one. Uh, groups are, are, re, are uh, remixed uh, every generation. So 
So basically you have, uh, you have like uh, a discrete dynamics from one generation to the next. And then uh, if uh, the changes in frequencies are slow enough, uh, then you approximate this with a continuous uh, replicator equation. If you put in a discrete replicator equation, uh, in some cases uh, you can get chaotic dynamics, I mean, it just uh, becomes more messy. So do you remember this, uh, this cycle, basically? You start with the dispersed cells, you aggregate them, you compute the fitness, with this fitness, you update the frequency of the strategies, the next generation. But in doing this, you also redisperse everything. So there's no group that persists from one generation to the other. Groups are reformed over and over at every generation. This is because we wanted to avoid basically kinship or, I mean, some persistence of uh, genealogies uh, in, in these groups. So they're Yes, well, yes, there's, there are like two limits. So, yes, there are two limits basically, and uh, I agree, I, I didn't think too much about it, but uh, it's true that, I mean, you would have a a population uh, that is infinite in the sense that it contains an infinite number of uh, these sets uh, that are, uh, e each of them is infinite. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, not, it, it's not something particular. No, I think that we trying to understand the limit here because it does seem like you would go to one group that I mean yeah so in in a, in a simulation uh, you will never get to this limit of course because in a simulation uh, you 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 would reach the limit of population size before you can but, but again, maybe this is, this is different now. So like almost any process which is which is evolutionary, you know, sitting around some absolute maximum fitness or something like that. There's a very big difference between any finite population that we After some time, maybe it's a good approximation for some time, but then the approximation breaks down, and often the time it breaks down is not very long. I mean, I guess I don't understand enough of the model. And uh, we, we checked all, all this stuff for finite population. I mean, it, it's not too bad. It's, uh, of course, uh, I mean, you always, uh, when you have a deterministic system that approximates some population of a finite size, even if it's larger, you, you always have some. But is there a criterion that tells you when you can neglect the number of fluctuations, like population size times selective advantage, much, much less than, greater than one, or? 
Yeah, well, usually, the, the usual limit is that uh, if you consider, uh, if you use the replicator equation, uh, then basically your selective pressure should be very small because uh, you, you need to have uh, a small change uh, in your discrete uh, and, system. And T has to be very large, or N has to be very large at the same time, in such a way that the product is large. I mean, that, that, that's, I think, the I have to, to think more about it. I, I, I didn't really think uh, about uh, yes quantifying the effect of uh, finite size fluctuations. Uh. I just think I missed something about how the rest of so T is the maximum, is the group of maximal size? N no, it's the, let's say, is the maximal attainable size. Yeah, uh, it, it's not seen, said uh, that you attain it. Uh. How do you pick the rest of the group? How are the rest of the so basically, you have a recruiter that sits there, and then it interacts once with all the T other individuals. And then either they stick together, or they, the, the, the other individual just uh, remains alone. So all those that have sticked to the recruiter, they are part of the group of the recruiter. And this group, uh, maximal size is T, because if everybody else is sticking to the recruiter, then your group will be of size T. But can you also get smaller groups? Yes, yes. Ah, you, can, uh, you can also remain alone, I mean, in principle. But in between alone and T. Yes, yeah. I, I show you. Okay. So basically, this is, a, this is a numerical simulation, so it's a finite, uh, pretty large but finite uh, population. So you start, uh, let's say, well, actually for finite populations uh, you get very easily over the threshold, uh, but let's say at this uh, time here you have uh, this uh, proportion of socials, and then uh, you will have uh, groups of relatively small size uh, and uh, a lot of individuals that will remain alone. And then as time passes, uh, the size of the groups uh, will increase, uh, and then eventually you will end up with basically only social individuals. So you will have big groups, still not infinite. This does not diverge. So this has really a limit that is that depends. What is interesting is that it's independent on the game parameters. It only depends on the interaction parameter and on the maximal possible size. And then you will have uh, quite some individuals that remain alone, uh, and what is important here is uh, really these lonely individuals. Uh, I mean, uh, if you are a social, you, ha you are much more likely to be alone than to be in a group. And then when you average over the whole population, uh, you will get uh, that their fitness uh, is uh, inferior to that of uh, uh, socials. But uh, if you only looked at the individuals that are actually part of the group, uh, you will have the reverse. So this is uh, also to say that basically uh, focusing just on the individuals that are uh, in uh, a group, uh, if you have the situations in which uh, the individuals can remain outside the group, uh, might lead to the wrong conclusion in terms of uh, what's the evolutionary direction uh, of uh, basically of the evolution of, of sociality. So <coughs> this, is a, this is the threshold value uh, for uh, different parameters. Uh, and uh, this is just to, to say that 
you, you don't get uh, the evolution of sociality only if you have uh, uh, really direct mutualistic benefits that is a uh, sort of trivial case. In this case basically you get the evolution of sociality from uh, just uh, one social individual, but, but this is trivial. Uh, then uh, for a, a large uh, set of uh, situations in which uh, co sociality is really altruistic, uh, you still uh, get uh, pretty low thresholds. Uh, and this is uh, a stochastic simulation, uh, so you have uh, basically that your threshold is probably somewhere here, but as long as uh, finite size fluctuations bring you over the threshold, then basically sociality evolves. Yes? Can you elaborate a little more about the process of uh, recruitment? So, of group formation? The recruitment itself, uh, what, what, what do you imagine for this? Because if, if a single individual is recruiting others, then surely as the, as the size of the group increases, the capacity to do that will decrease, right? So... Yeah, well, I, I'm not saying this is a realistic model for uh, aggregation, because actually there are a number of things that are uh, pretty strange. Also the fact that uh, in order to, to get all this absence of assortment, uh, basically the probability of joining a group is independent on how the group, or what are the properties of the group, which uh, may seem unrealistic. Uh, unrealistic. Um, I'm not defending this as, uh, as a realistic model. So now I, maybe I go to, to the second part that, uh, that is a model we are developing that we hope is slightly more realistic with this respect. Just one last question yeah. though, can, can a recruiter uh, mint new recruiters? Uh, can a recruiter, sorry? Can a re recruiter create new, new, new recruiters? No, not, on a, not, not, within, uh, not within a generation. Yeah, yes, of course, uh, you, you can have reproduction within a generation. Uh, with, as I said before, uh, we avoided this uh, just because we did not want, we want to rule out uh, sort of uh, kin selection things, uh, so we did not want uh, kinship to develop within a group. Because it's known that uh, if you maintain groups uh, for long enough, uh, then uh, this will boost uh, basically cooperation because uh, well, you create uh, uh, relatedness inside. Yes, but then you would have uh, that certain group, uh, certain uh, pairs are already formed, and then they, uh, you mean uh, pick uh, either a pair or uh, a lonely individual? No, but because the recruiter is chosen randomly within the, the T individuals. Oh, each time? Each time is chosen randomly. You, you, I know, no, not, each, not at each interaction. Right, but you could change it for each yes. interaction, then the probability will depend on the percentage of, of the socials in the group. Yes. And then, then yeah, I, I'm not sure this would be more realistic, actually. I, I don't know. I think this is not realistic at all. It's just a, it's just a case in which one can obtain analytic results and then really play around with the parameters, but yes, I mean, th there could be other choices, uh, sure, for, uh, for this uh, aggregation process. Uh, 
and actually the the first formula I showed you is uh, it's really pointing out that uh, it is important what is the mechanism uh, that forms groups uh, they are not all equivalent uh, and uh, okay Well, here it is. It is somehow in the sense that if you are a social recruiter, right, but recruiting can't evolve. Can't evolve. No, it, it can't evolve. No. No. Just, just one more yes. Question. So, is the assumption of having a higher probability to touch if you are social, isn't this in some, some way equivalent to saying that there is also a benefit to be uh, social? Well, there is a benefit uh, through the public good uh, of being social. Yes. I mean, uh, the, here being social means uh, these two things. So if you, if you say, okay, I can uh, be be more attaching in the phase of uh, group formation and then I behave as a cheater in the social phase. Then uh, things get more complicated, you need to make uh, other hypotheses in order to get uh, the evolution of sociality. So of course if you have a cheat uh, in the social phase that is uh, that can uh, sort of switch off, uh, you produce glue only in the phase of uh, group formation so you're sure that uh, you end up in uh, big groups. Uh, and then once you are in a group, uh, you switch off the production of the glue, so you have no longer a cost. And then uh, you just uh, reap the benefits of uh, the others producing uh, a glue. Okay, in this case, uh, you still can have uh, the evolution of society in certain cases uh, if you have like a cost of the switch. So a cost of the regulation of this. Uh, I mean, to us, uh, it's not very natural to think that uh, uh, it's more uh, like the idea is that you have a trade that plays uh, a double role in two different phases of the life cycle. Then if you relax this hypothesis, uh, there are some ways out, uh, but it's more complicated. So okay, well, just... Um, uh, going, going back to microbes, uh, I think that uh, what this uh, simple uh, model uh, pointed out is that you don't really need uh, to evolve uh, small groups, uh, so large groups uh, can uh, emerge, uh, um, they are not uh, disfavored by, by evolution and that uh, assortment uh, can be created just by an hypothesis on uh, differential attachment. It is a difference on some physical property that does not require, even though uh, formally it uh, resembles very much uh, a recognition process, uh, but this does not need to be a real recognition process of the other cell. I mean, if you, if you produce a glue, that's your you're not producing it because uh, you, you see the others uh, or uh, it's just uh, your own property. 
And uh, another thing is that uh, these lonely individuals uh, are probably important to be taken into account uh, if, uh, if one has to make a sort of budget uh, of uh, the fitness over uh, a whole population. And now I, we, we tried uh, to get a bit closer to what uh, happens uh, in uh, microbes uh, that live uh, on a surface. So there are uh, some studies about uh, uh, basically the fact that uh, during a swarming process uh, you get uh, some uh, uh, group size uh, distributions. Uh, so these are, these are numerical simulations, uh, but then they, they did also some experimental work. Uh, depending on what are uh, really the, the properties, the physical properties of the cells that are in interaction, you can get different kind of uh, uh, features uh, at the collective level of uh, these uh, aggregates. Um, yeah. You mean uh, in, uh, in reality or? Uh, are they living longer? Are they staying together longer? Uh, no, uh, no. The, the previous ones are mixed bacteria. I actually I don't know. Uh, I think it is. Uh, they are still reproducing. I think why they swarm. Uh, actually, in that case, you don't have uh, this clear distinction uh, between uh, an aggregation phase and a reproduction phase. This. Uh, I think they keep reproducing while they swarm, but I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure, actually. For uh, for dictyostelium, uh, usually uh, they, they don't reproduce, or they reproduce very little as they form uh, the the aggregate. Well, basically, what we would like to mimic is something like this. Basically, this is a field of dictyostelium, and you have the, I don't know whether I can replay it, no? Well, so here it starts as single cells, and then these cells aggregate and form these groups. And then basically, we short circuit everything that happens after the group has formed all the developmental stage. And so we model this uh, by means of uh, cell propelled particles. So each cell is uh, one particle that moves at a constant speed in a direction that depends on uh, what are the positions of the other uh, particles within a finite radius around it. So there is uh, some uh, local interactions uh, through some sort of uh, forces uh, which will influence uh, the update at uh, the next time step of the direction of uh, the motion. Still, the velocity will remain the same. So you, you only change uh, direction. And you start with uh, an initial density of, of particles. Basic interaction makes them want to go in the same direction? <coughs> Me. <coughs> yes, basically, uh, what you have is that uh, the stronger is uh, the the force. Uh, the basically the, the closer are these two particles, uh, the more they will uh, orient uh, 
their, uh, their velocities. And then you have a noise term. Basically, you have some parameters that uh, play a bit the role of this attachment probabilities. Uh, so this uh, measure uh, how much uh, the uh, basically one particle will influence the other particle. And, and this just tells you that uh, you, you keep the velocity constant. So it's a, it's a system that is uh, discrete in time and uh, continuous in space. So it's like the flocking models? Yes. Yeah, so somehow, somehow, I mean, you, you don't have uh, like uh, uh, alignment. Uh, I mean, you, you can also add an alignment term, but uh, to, to keep things simple, uh, we just uh, use uh, this uh, this form uh, that has been used uh, to, to study. Uh, so, if you start with a, with a tissue with the cells that are already arranged in uh, in in a group, uh, then uh, this kind of model has been used to study the segregation of uh, different cell types uh, within a tissue. So, but now we start from particles that are uh, spread apart uh, from each other. <coughs> so this is the kind of force uh, uh, that uh, two particles exert. Uh, so there is a hardcore repulsion, and then you have some uh, uh, some equilibrium uh, distance, uh, and they all interact uh, inside uh, a given uh, uh, radius. And then uh, what, what will change depending on the fact that you are social and or a social let's say sticky or non-sticky, is the, the slope of, of this curve. So stickier uh, particles, uh, they will have a higher slope and uh, uh, a smaller uh, equilibrium uh, radius. And then uh, well, we have these uh, three interaction parameters. Uh, we, we choose them basically for no, no specific reason, but in geometrical relationship. So you, you sum up, uh, you, you sum uh, all the forces of uh, of all those that are in um, in a neighborhood. So basically, this is uh, the the kind of thing you get. We can replay it, maybe. This is a co-alignment force, or is this? So the velocities are constant. In magnitude. Yes. In magnitude. Yes. I mean, you, you don't have uh, explicitly a term that uh, looks at this angle and uh, so the, the two angles and uh, and breaks them together. That's this uh, alpha. Uh, how? That is not a flocking model. It's an aggregation model, and the velocity is swiveled around to make them come to near. Yes. Plane. Yes. So it's, it's like an interaction, a contractive interaction. So usually uh, in uh, this model, they also have another term uh, that uh, really aligns the, you know, the, uh, the velocities. So the velocity aligns the center of the particle, not the orientation. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so well, then, sorry, just uh, takes a moment to charge it. So then uh, you, you have this uh, formation of groups. Uh, Depending on the parameters, uh, you will have that these groups, uh, they are uh, more or less uh, coherent. Uh, so you will have uh, more or less uh, particles that uh, go around. Of course, uh, this is uh, a whole uh, transient, uh, so we don't wait until uh, it reaches uh, its uh, asymptotic state. Uh, so 
-hmm. basically we don't get to the point where you get uh, that everything collapses like in one single group uh, we just uh, stop the simulations uh, at a given time there's no subdivisions in these simulations? no and then uh, well the problem is uh, how to find an algorithm that really partitions uh, things into groups uh, uh, okay, this is a particularly simple case, but in many cases you have uh, the, uh, really a gas phase that is pretty extended and then uh, it's a bit tricky to, to really find uh, how to, what you call a group and what you call outside a group, but <coughs> Thomas has developed uh, uh, some clustering algorithm to do this. And then what you see uh, for this kind of aggregations uh, is uh, something that uh, looks uh, more or less like uh, what we had before. So you have uh, some uh, groups, uh, some, so the particles, the social particles, the more sticky particles are most often found in groups, uh, whereas uh, uh, the asocial particles are most often found outside groups, uh, which of course uh, uh, favors uh, cooperation or sociality in many, many cases. For instance, we did a parameter, we explored a bit the parameter space, and depending on the velocity, for instance, you will have that the groups have a different size. This is the average group size for socials and for socials. And so, uh, depending on the fact that you have uh, your gas phase is prevalent over the aggregated phase, uh, uh, well, you, you can have a variety of, uh, of situations. What is interesting is that in most cases, uh, basically, you don't have a, a very, very high prevalence of uh, socials inside the groups. Uh, they, they are slightly they are found slightly more in groups uh, than as socials, uh, but not, not in a very important way. And um, uh, another thing uh, that is uh, here uh, uh, is that in most of these cases, basically, you have a really true altruism. You, you can uh, get a positive payoff for a truly altruistic situation. So basically, this line tells you that <coughs> this line is where you would get uh, sociality in terms of uh, the, the initial uh, composition of the population. What are those yes, I'm sorry. So th this is the average, uh, the average group size. And what do you mean by social? So they are sticky or non sticky uh, let's say more or less sticky particles. Yes, but not in the same proportion. Then what, what is the asocial line and the social line? So the, uh, these are statistics uh, uh, done by singling out only the socials or only the asocials. And the asocials in this case are not cheaters? There's no common good going on here? Or, or not, not yet, but then if you, if you add, uh, so if you, at a certain point you stop the simulation and you let them play the public good within each one of these groups that has formed, then you get an evolutionary dynamics. So, so far it's just to see uh, what is the composition of the groups. Right. And but you showed that the, the asocials, there are lots of asocial individuals. Yes. And in a public goods game, they, they would die because right. they wouldn't be near by the diffusing right. public good. Is that right? 
Yeah, well, here actually, if you remain alone, uh, you, you don't die. You you just uh, yes. Yes, well, Other, yes, if you have a, a, a direct cost of uh, being alone, yes, but we, we don't have it uh, here. So, you have the opposite building, say at the beginning, that part of carrying the sociality gene is making you more sticky, but also at a fitness cost to yourself, although it confers Yes, yes. Okay. So, and it's the same here, basically, once you form the groups, uh, then you just see what's the proportion of socials and the socials. Uh, you compute the fitness, uh, and then you update uh, your population. And basically what happens is that uh, uh, if you start with a very little number of socials, uh, you will get uh, small groups uh, and uh, this uh, very gas-like uh, phase. And then uh, after uh, some generations, uh, you will get to a situation, uh, maybe I can replay this. Uh, uh, you, you get a situation in which uh, you have uh, sizable groups uh, that form. Okay. <coughs> and again, <coughs> you will have like a typical group size. <coughs> yeah, if you, if you wait long enough. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, you're not there forever, actually. When you are in a group, uh, you can still leave. Uh, th there is some evaporation from the groups. Uh, but um, uh, that's why I was uh, underlying before that uh, this is just a transient, uh, so we stop at a given time. Actually, what happens uh, if, you, if you wait for a longer time is that uh, so sometimes uh, this happens uh, pretty qu uh, quickly, but you, you get some structure in these groups. Uh, Actually, in the long run, uh, you will have uh, probably perfect segregation of uh, the two types. Uh, but what is interesting is that even uh, on, a, on a pretty fast uh, time scale, you tend to have that uh, associates uh, are outside the group, uh, on the exterior part of the group. And this basically uh, resembles very much what is seen uh, in uh, some microbes. Uh, so, uh, well, uh, this is uh, yeast, where uh, the variant uh, that was uh, less sticky uh, was uh, seen uh, at the exterior part of the flock. So basically, the, the bottom line is simply that uh, you, with a very simple thing that is just uh, being more or less sticky, you get enough assortment uh, within groups uh, to get the evolution of a social trait. So to, to increase uh, the size of the groups, uh, and then you can get... Uh, maybe, yeah, I'm not sure. Actually, I'm not sure because we, we didn't uh, run the simulations long enough to, to really study the coalescence of, of the different uh, groups. I, I can't tell you. What's the group velocity versus the group size? Well, I think uh, the, the group itself uh, must undergo some random motion that the scales as um, one over, I don't know, group size or something like this? No, I, I don't know. I am. Yes. But we, we have coalescence in some cases. I mean, uh, d depending on that, yes, uh, it does. Full coalescence is provided if you go that if the group velocity goes down faster than one over n yes. squared, you never coalesce. 
yes, yes, you're right. So it, it depends uh, very much on the parameter values, uh, how, how fast uh, you get these groups and, uh, and yes, well, we, we haven't uh, really explored what happens in the long run. Um, actually, there are some observations that are interesting in uh, some other dictyostelids in which uh, groups uh, form, uh, like uh, form and then they, they reform again in different places. Uh, it's something we, we would like to, to explore on the basis of some, some interaction rules. Sylvia, do you know yeah. how the cluster number or the average number of particles in a cluster depends on the density, the overall yeah. density? It depends very much on the overall density. So basically, uh, it uh, it becomes the exact relationship. I don't know. They they grow in size as you increase uh, density. Um, there, these structures like this have been studied in statistical physics. They're called cluster phases. They can be long. They can be equilibrium phases. They don't have to go to a bulk. Mm. Phase. Mm. Uh, but of course, I mean, I'm talking about statistical physics, which is much simpler in some ways than your rules. But, uh, but do, do, uh, are there like two particle types? Because, I mean, the, the problem here is that you have one phase, I mean, one particle type that really remains um, largely outside groups or uh, at the exterior and it evaporates and. Uh, uh, no, you don't. You don't need two particle types to have one of these phases. Uh, but they, these, uh, but there are well-known consequences that come from. But if you have, you get a sort of emulsion-like thing, two types. This looks a bit like. Well, that's true. Around the surfaces of the brain. Yes, you would see. You would see uh, a gas of monomer or singletons, whatever you call them here, and then you'd see ones in clusters. That's. The red cluster, the blues, the golds interface around them. Yes. Mm. So that that's a sort of like a Yes, that's correct. Anyway, a prediction of this model is that the cluster number would be linear in the overall density. I have to check. Actually, I think we measured it. Uh, I, I have to check. Uh, Do you find cluster size to vary predictably with any other parameter size density? I mean, predictably, we don't have predictions uh, here, so we, we just, uh, uh, it varies uh, with uh, all the parameters. Uh, uh, actually, what we see is that uh, velocity and noise uh, have a very similar, uh, play a very similar role. Basically, if you increase velocity or you increase noise, you increase the volatility of these groups. And so, and, uh, and actually this seems to be the important thing, I mean, evolutionarily speaking, because it is what determines uh, how much assortment you get uh, inside a group. Uh, you begin the model, you begin with a 50-50 mix of red and blue, is that right? N no, in the, in the evolutionary simulations, uh, we start with uh, very few red uh, and uh, mostly blue. But they have their properties of red or blue before they are... Independent, red. yes. So, is it possible to do something whereby they have no properties of either kind or it's unknown before they join a group, but only after they join a group is their property determined? Uh, yes, I mean. What I'm thinking about, I mean, the people who know more about slime molds than me 
before they get together to form a fruiting body, I don't know how much we know about which ones will, when they do form a fruiting body, become the spores and which ones won't. I know that the variation of who becomes spores different in different species. Um, but I, uh, just out of ignorance, I don't know what the process is by which in real slime molds, let's say, it is determined who's going to enter the spore and who's not. And I'm wondering if it's possible to build in some of those ideas here. Actually, there is another issue. Here we are thinking more to a case in which you have like two strains that you mix, so one of which is more sticky than another. Then we are also thinking to a model in which you have like an epigenetic switch. That's, I mean, doesn't give very different results. It's a bit more tricky, but yes, in principle, you can think of doing this kind of models. We have an example from slime molds with the CSA gene. If you knock it out, it's an adhesion gene. If you knock it out, they are less sticky. One consequence is that less stickiness means they drop to the back of the slug as it migrates. That makes them cheaters because back of the slug is where the spores come from. But the, the other consequence is they find it hard to get into the aggregations to start with because you need stickiness there as well. But if they fall yeah, but, back, but, they can do so in, in the, 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 the rounds. They can gain by falling off. I mean, there's a trade-off. I'm talking about being in the back of the slug and not falling off, but in the back is where the spores will eventually come from when they produce the tree. Right, so, so they do, but they also, being in the back, if it's falling off, is a um, negative or positive if they fall off in a foodie patch, they can. They can but if they fall off in a foodie patch, they, they're worse off. Yes. So there's some trade off between being worse off because falling off and better off because it's making a sport. Yes, I think it's a. Um, yes, it's a bit tricky to, to really um, decide what are the different effects. Um, yeah. So just uh, to, to conclude. Uh, uh, just I wanted to go back to this, uh, let's say, sociality and uh, multicellularity. So uh, basically in, in this uh, model, uh, one has uh, groups uh, that uh, form over and over again. So statistically, if you look at the population, you will see some sort of maintenance of uh, structure of uh, the population that just emerges uh, from uh, the individual interaction rules. And, uh, so one could be tempted uh, to see this as a sort of uh, maintenance of a multicellular state. Um, but still, everything here is just based on really individual level selection. So the, everything, the fitness is computed for each cell uh, separated. And actually, we are thinking now with Paul and Ellen Clark about this problem of whether this tells something about the evolution of multicellularity or it tells just nothing. Because you don't have a way to reproduce at the collective level. Therefore, even if you get some sort of evolution of macroscopic properties, because uh, you have an uh, evolution of some microscopic uh, interaction rules that uh, leads uh, eventually to uh, the change in time of uh, the collectives, uh, still you would maybe not be willing to call this uh, multicellular organism 
in the sense that uh, there is uh, no way for a group uh, to uh, get a group uh, at the following generation. So uh, one could imagine some processes uh, that are instead uh, uh, imposed uh, at the group level, for instance, uh, fission of, of the groups or uh, some, some ways of group reproduction that would actually let enter this other level of uh, description. And uh, there is a, a recent paper in which uh, uh, Simon Flechter and Döbeli uh, uh, started uh, to address uh, this problem of uh, taking into account at the same time some uh, uh, growth rate uh, at, the, at the level of uh, the cells and uh, some uh, other process at the level of the group. Uh, still, um, I'd be happy to, to talk with, with you about this. Uh, I'm still thinking that uh, within this framework, uh, it would be very hard to explain uh, the first emergence of groups, uh, because in, uh, basically in this equation, uh, as soon as you go to the boundaries of uh, basically the, the domain, uh, so when, when your groups are very small, then I think uh, you might have some problems uh, with, uh, with this kind of uh, continuous. Um, okay, that's it. Thank you very much. So there have been quite a few models now of this green barrier type mechanism of either assortment or direct recognition based on some trait. And the universal finding is that if you allow for cheating, it doesn't work. If you don't allow for cheating, it works. So in your model, you didn't allow for cheating because the, the green beer trait, in the case of assortment, is the assortment behavior. If by doing it, you automatically cooperate, then cheating is not possible. In this case, mm -hmm. cheating would be one that yeah. it, you know, displays the beard, i.e. of sorts, but then doesn't cooperate, as pointed out. So given that, and the, the few instances of real green beards that we've seen, uh, in nature, and the fact that these organisms usually form groups of kin, uh, I just, the more, you know, I see models on this, I just continue to ask, well, basically all the conclusions just stem from the first assumption that you can't cheat. It's not that you, I mean, you can cheat only in one way. Yeah, I agree. You can't cheat in any possible way. I mean, these socials are somehow cheaters. The only, th the only thing is that uh, while they cheat uh, in their collective state, uh, they also get indirectly an effect uh, in the aggregation phase. And actually, I, I don't like to think to this uh, as a green beard in the sense that, uh, okay, I agree with you, there are definitions of green beard that say that basically anything that creates assortment is green beard. But I think that this doesn't help very much in understanding what are the mechanisms uh, that are in play. I mean, uh, in this case, uh, you just have that one cell becomes uh, more sticky than the others. Uh, and uh, it's not green beard in the sense that uh, it recognizes uh, that uh, the other cells are sticky. It's just, uh, it is sticky and it has a higher probability to stick to somebody who is sticky. Yeah, it's a and it is, uh, yes, uh, but, but then if... Assortment and the assortment is what if you're assuming that a sorting automatically causes you to cooperate, then you're, you're not allowing for cheating. I'm not assuming this. I mean, uh, it, if, 
you have a sort, if you, if you are, no, no, I, what I'm saying is that the fact that assortment is a way to promote cooperation, I think everybody agrees on that or not. So if you... What I'm saying is that if you're assuming that cheating is not possible, and the conclusion of your model is determined by that assumption, if you look at real organisms, they do facultative cheating. You also find kinship. Now, kinship is a way to solve that. In your model, if you allow for facultative cheating, it would allow for a type that, form, that forms the group, expresses the trait to get into the group, and then doesn't express it. Right? Yes, exactly. I now, told before, yeah. That, mm -hmm. And you have a well-mixed population, mm -hmm. everybody's going to be doing it. And there's not going to be cooperation because everybody's going to be I agree, but it. my question is how realistic is this hypothesis? I mean, that you have some, somebody who is sticky in the aggregation phase and then stops to be sticky. I mean, to me, it is something that would involve a cost of regulation, just that you, you stop expressing the glue uh, once you are in a group. Mycelium um, does facultative cheating. Mixobacteria does facultative behaviors. Yeast does facultative cheating. If you look at the wild types, and then the real wild strains, not the ones they're using in the experiments. So, and, you know, where people have looked, you've got kinship. So, yeah. I'm not saying that kinship, uh, I mean, kinship uh, uh, works uh, surely, but, but if you... have no relevance to what's going on. I mean, I mean you, you don't know what happened at the very beginning of, uh, no, of the no, emergence of groups. Uh, I mean, I, I know that uh, extant... Uh, no, excuse me. I was just going to try to amplify a little bit. I, I, I think I agree with Owen that the, the biologically most simple assumption probably is that these traits are separable. That whether you call it a green beard or not, it does have the property of the green beard, that it's got the linkage of the, this recognition-like thing mm -hmm. and the social property, whether it comes from stickiness or whatever. And there may be circumstances where those aren't separable, but usually selection can separate things. And I don't know, to me being sticky, if you, if you produce a glue, just, I, I wouldn't know why I should stop producing a glue at a certain point, uh, so I should have like a sort of mechanism that tells me when I have to stop producing the glue. I mean, to, to me it seems uh, more difficult, but uh, I mean, I, I'm not saying that this is uh, the solution of everything. I'm just saying that uh, with uh, starting with very simple assumptions, uh, you can get the evolution of uh, something that is um, that is groups. The glue not only causes the adhesion in the first place, but when they're in the group, somehow the gluey ones are doing something more cooperative than the ungluey ones, and that's coming from the glue itself. Well, that's a collective property. Uh, the, the assumption is that uh, if you have a group that is formed uh, by cohesive particles uh, in higher proportion, then it will have a fitness that is higher than, uh, than this might be in terms of, uh, for instance, if instead of using the public goods game, you just uh, uh, assume that the fitness is the time of, uh, in which a group remains together, then you get the same result, basically. Uh, then I agree with you that not in every situation uh, this can be the selective force. I mean, uh, maybe you can have uh, completely different reasons uh, why uh, to different relationship of what is the fitness uh, given a, a composition of the group. 
this I perfectly agree and I think it's very it's very important also because uh, with this uh, mechanism uh, it's so easy to, to evolve uh, sociality. I mean, as soon as um, you have an advantage of, uh, a collective advantage of being cohesive, then it's pretty straightforward because uh, uh, really this differential addition uh, gives you the assortment you need to, to get things going evolutionarily. So it's much more interesting in some sense uh, to have a, uh, uh, the opposite case in which uh, you would have a fitness that depends in a... Um, it's possible, but just when we have them, we should ask the questions that we ask about Greenbeard's mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So, so I, I'm, I'm confused, maybe because I haven't read the Greenbeard literature, but why is this an example of it? Where's the recognition here? It's the, it's the glue, you're preferentially... Just glue, right? But yeah, it's. Yeah, well, it's not sort of I mean, every recognition mechanism has a mechanism. In this case, it's glue. But it's not necessarily recognition. Why would you call that recognition? It preferentially binds to others with glue, then it's recognition of a sort. Or if there's different kinds of glue, it binds I mean, we don't have to call it recognition, but it's got the same property. So, I actually, I think. Well, call it glue, but it still has the same properties that it causes to ask these questions about green beards. So we can ask the same questions here. So we call these blue beards. <laughs> okay, we called it like a non-nepotistic green beard. Uh, I don't know whether um, it makes sense, but uh, I actually I think that uh, the well the original I think that the green beard evokes uh, so much uh, this idea of uh, recognition and of a signal that I prefer to avoid it uh, and. Uh, then, uh, of course, as I told before, if you choose as a definition of Greenbeard any mechanism that creates assortment, which includes the fact that uh, you decide to go eat in this place, and then all those who decide to go eating in this place, they have a higher uh, pro probability of mating together. Okay, but then everything is Greenbeard. I'm not Greenbeards, but when things have the properties, properties of Greenbeards that cause us to certain, ask certain questions about Greenbeards, we can ask the same questions about these. Ah yes, we have been obliged by the referees <laughs> to call it Greenbeard. <laughs> sure. So you don't, you don't see the connection between the two. I mean, no, no, I, 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 I section depending on the definition you take of Greenbeard. I, I adopt it. I, I don't think that is uh, what um, uh, what is more useful. But okay, I mean, I, I, I don't have uh, problems, uh, particular problems in principle against Greenbeards. Biological scenarios that don't require 
this problem of having a single gene that codes for these things that's achievable, and you're having to assume that it's not. Uh, and and you know, the initial, it's one hypothesis, and, and it's you know receives a lot of theoretical attention. Uh, but you know, usually when people do these models, and it's just one. There's usually a major assumption about how cheating can work, and so you know, there's well, alternative possibilities. One thing that I would definitely find helpful um, as a complement to theoretical approaches and to experimental evolution approaches is to understand what are the mechanisms that direct the faculty of cheating in the instances that we know. Of. I'm not sure how much is known about that. You talked about some yeast and dicty examples where faculty of cheating has been observed. I mean, is that at the phenotypic level, and do we know what the mechanisms are? Maybe we might be able to compare those exogenic mechanisms to the mechanisms that emerge when collectives sort in experimental evolution, and that might give us some sense. We can apply our understanding of genome evolution and regulatory evolution to that, and see if that gives us some sense of what kinds of representatives are these, are extant uh, ones to the ones that we can evolve to know. So do we know about yeah, that? Yeah, sure. There's not that much known about. Uh, Faculty, what causes faculty to cheat? Right. Maybe I can just follow up on that. I mean, is there a possibility that organisms where those facultative cheaters, they're stable in the stable vaccine population, are harder to invade by ones that um, are mutants that cheat? They are. Yeah, because yeah, they assume they've already got some kind of stable <laughs> so balance. If you're doing a nice basic uh, modeling, you're going to have obligate cooperator, obligate. Cheater and a facultative cheater that's also, you could say, very cooperative. Yeah. That's a very basic model allowing for three strategies. Cooperator is going to be, there's going to be both of them if there's any ability to discriminate. It's just an obvious advantage. Now, if, if things are able to do that, you're going to expect them to do it. But even if, but if it's not this, if they can't discriminate or not discriminate very well, but nevertheless, it automatically is. It's evolving in a way which is able to some fraction of the something which is cheating, phenotypic cheaters. Um, and so, in some ways, the way that the dynamics work, some common good, whatever one's calling things, um, the, it may then be stable having um, uh, having genotypic cheaters, or more stable having genotypic cheaters. No, I mean, it's a cheat, it's a obligate. So I find these models useful. I mean, they are incredibly simple. I guess as you're getting to, but um, I think they're useful because they they make explicit statements about the assumptions and things. Yeah, yeah. I'm somewhat out. Well, not somewhat. I'm quite outside this field, and I just hear everybody disagreeing about what these verbal yeah. definitions are about everything in this, this area. So um, I don't even if I'm not. The model is meant to explain everything, but it's. State given these assumptions, what's possible, and presumably what's not possible, and then move on to try and integrate this with biology. I mean, that's one of the utilities of the models, I mean, is that assumptions can be made very explicit and more kind of false. Yeah, that's what I was getting Get rid of the words and just to show that you can, uh, all you need is something. And I guess I'm just looking forward to next week just being debates among the <laughs> 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 <laughs>
my nature. He does a similar model where you just bend off the chin and you get the green beard thing and then somebody wrote a letter to nature. Oh, you didn't allow for cheating and they did the model again. And, well, it doesn't work. Models are always oversimplifications. So the question isn't, is this biologically realistic? It's, does it tell us something useful? And I, yeah. I, don't, I don't find it problematic to assume that there's a population in which there's genetic variation for the amount of glue production. And I think you've derived some interesting conclusions from that starting assumption. I think what you're proposing is adding an additional layer of complexity on that that would make it more biologically realistic, which could be cool, but I don't think it, I don't think it validates what's gone before. It's very nice to strip things bare and see how little you need in order to get some interesting behavior there as well as something to it, but I'm just have an issue with the general approach of the whole uh, aspect of the field and focusing on this problem so much. That's it. I mean, one could take the, the other approach and say, okay, we, we can make a simple model, but we basically know assumptions in it, and call it which has naturally lead to call it as a geodetic operator and so on, but just some, you know, complicated messy interactions, which one, you know, Assumes are complicated enough that one can't assign much meaning to them, so the positive and negative action, various things, and see what that does, and whether that gives things, can evolve things which look as if when you might want to call them cooperative procedures. Um, but there's nothing in the, in the model which has any of those things in it explicitly. Different evolutionary directions which allow changes in the interactions, and so on, you know, some overall constraints on dynamics, and then we'll ask what happens. What happens in that kind of situation? Actually, I, I don't question at all the fact that uh, kin selection works perfectly fine. It's just that I'm trying to imagine if you were in a situation where maybe kin selection would not be as efficient as it is nowadays, could you still explain uh, the emergence of groups or of uh, collective properties? Um, basically, 